Welcome to Engage 360, Denver Seminary's podcast. Join us as we explore the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of scripture at work in our culture today. Hey friends, welcome again. This is Engage 360. We're really glad, we're grateful that you've chosen to spend a little bit of time with us. We're coming to you from Denver Seminary where our mission is to uh, train people to engage the needs of the world with the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of Scripture. It's what we're all about. It's what this podcast is about. My name is Don Payne. I'm your host, and looking forward to another really interesting conversation today. Those who conduct a lot of sociological research on faith, uh, at least in the U.S., find pretty consistently that one of the leading reasons people walk away from their faith is that they can't reconcile their faith with some of the findings of science. Now, there are some pretty common knee-jerk responses to that, and some of those responses may be better than others, but before any response, it's probably wise for us to pause a minute and take that concern seriously. Uh, Now, while not everything that comes our way in the name of science is equally valid, and we know that lots of supposedly assured conclusions of science get overturned with further research, science does present some findings that sometimes come in conflict with intensely held faith conclusions. Uh, And over the long haul, it forces people of faith to re-examine some of those conclusions. Uh, This certainly happened centuries ago when Copernicus argued for a heliocentric universe and argued that the planets were not in fixed uniform positions around the earth, but they were revolving around the sun at different distances from the sun. And the church of the time took this to be the equivalent of atheism because where then was God if space was infinite? Uh, So sometimes we can easily mistake the overall truth of the Christian faith for our presumed interpretations of some matters that we take to be the equivalent of the faith itself. And science can have a way of challenging and sharpening our understanding of our faith, our understanding of Scripture. So in this episode, our guest uh, is actually one of our current students, Rich Reif. Rich, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. This is going to be a fun conversation. Yeah, we're so glad to have you here. Rich uh, came to seminary actually as a scientist and has a really interesting story of living in that space that links faith and science. Um, Rich, tell us first just a little bit about your background. I know you've done some work with NASA. Uh, I think you've got mm-hmm. just a pretty interesting background in the scientific community. I'd love to get a little bit of an overview of that background. A brief overview, okay. Yeah. Um, so originally I um, was studying how humans adapted to mountain environments uh, as far as the nervous system responded to that, how the muscular system responded to that, and how the body dealt with that digestively in the internal biochemistry. And during that time I ended up having an injury, so I had to make a shift. And I paused and decided which path should I go. And during that time um, I, I started seminary to learn more about theology and, and uh, apologetics. And then um, during that experience, I started having old thoughts from my, my uh, love of space and the uh, mass environment that exists there, and decided to start studying space and understanding how, how we get there um, and all that goes in with that, with the astronomical changes that have existed over time and how we perceive that, like Copernicus's shift. And 
uh, during that journey, I had the opportunity to do some uh, work with NASA Paz out of Arizona State and learn uh, how to write proposals uh, through that and how to review your proposals. And I'm currently working with them on a mission concepts uh, and a team where we get to explore Mars caves, which is pretty pretty exciting. And Mars? Yeah. Plan, Mars caves. Like, work on planning a mission there that, that okay. could t- possibly do that. Because what, what everybody's doing in space now is looking for life outside of Earth. Right. And, right. and this is this is the journey we're on. This is where all the money's being pushed into. Why everybody wants to go to Mars, and Mars caves have a high increased likelihood of having water, which is where that can exist, and the right temperature. Um, Mars Mars surface, I mean, anywhere changing anywhere from from uh, what negative seventy degrees up to about two hundred degrees, depending on how the rotation's spinning and where it is in its orbit, and the caves are where they think that this might exist. Okay, and I guess any anytime you're you're finding hydrogen or carbon, you've got at least some indicators of the possibility of yeah. life or former life. Correct, correct. And, but the main indicator is water. You have to have water, and you have to have the right temperature. Uh, they found on Earth. They basically compare Mars to Earth. What exists here, they think will exist elsewhere. Uh, Mars hasn't shown any true signs of that existing. Um, however, in the caves, I think that's the greatest likelihood. But the challenge of being on another planet is how do you control that what kind of robot are you going to use to go into a cave and still have power because there's no sun in the cave so there's these challenges that have to be overcome okay. to create that opportunity okay okay what's That's most what, interesting about that to you what what keeps you fascinated with that it, it for me uh, this goes back to how the shift happened for me was in science there's not a whole lot of talk about god in it and uh, it, 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 uh, it disturbs me because if we have all these unknowns and and we don't know how the how the universe started, and we still don't know. Um, for example, the Heisenberg uncertainty principle that in the small particles, we don't know. We know position, but we don't know momentum. We know momentum, but we don't know position. There's an unknown there that right. exists, right? Um, and then you get into Gerdel's um, incompleteness theory, right? And you don't really I'm gonna know. Say, I'm going to say right as if I know what that is. <laughs> I, I, rec- I recognize, recognize it. I've heard it, of okay. it. Yeah, I, I couldn't explain it. So, yeah. So, in a sense, it basically can tell you something is true, but it can't prove it. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Which happens a lot. And so, you have these, these uncertainties, these, these ends that don't really, that are missing things. And you have to pause, and you mentioned that in the intro, and, and, and question, what am I missing here? And this is where I was, goodness, it's been 16 years ago. In, in my journey with in relationship with God, and what what's the purpose? If 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 God doesn't exist, then what what are we doing each day, right? And so when you explore Mars Cave, my curiosity is, how amazing is it that God created this, right? All these planets, all these systems, and then yet we have Earth, where you have to have all that to have Earth. To go make an apple pie, <laughs> right? Because you yeah. can't do that anywhere else. This is a special place, and he made it as such. And so I invite him into that to engage in everything I do. That's a that's a really good um, hook to hang this on, and or something to remember this by is that all of the complexities, the sophistication, all of the mysteries, all of the unknowns really come together in some inexplicable way so that we can make an apple pie. Exactly. Yeah. And that's <laughs> that's, not, I, can, I can get my hands around that yes. as well as my mouth. But. Right. That, 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 that's, not, that's, that's not my quote. That's from a famous astronomer. I can't remember his name. They put that out there. And he's like, all this happened so you can make an apple pie. 
And that's just a beautiful thing to think about that it is that it is that amazing. He was that creative. Yeah. We have all this to explore and interact with and then still the beauty of of a, a nice dessert. I love to think of um Genesis 2:15 which we, you know, often refer to as the creation mandate. It's when uh God says to the original pair um he places them in the garden and says basically take care of this work it keep it mm-hmm. um, I think a, a loose paraphrase of that could be here's my gift to you this world it's yes. got everything again this is a really loose and expansive paraphrase okay but mm-hmm. <laughs> of Genesis 2:15 but God says basically here's here's my world that's my gift to you it has everything you need to survive and to flourish and to enjoy existence with me take care of it figure it out. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do it for you, right? but I'm going to be with you in the process and we're going to have a good time. Yes. Now that may be the loosest paraphrase ever of Genesis 2.15, but I think that's what God is communicating. Yes, exactly. Here's this world. Mm-hmm. It's complex. Uh, you're going to spend all of your history here figuring out how this thing works. Have fun. Yeah, exactly. And, and somehow we've lost that. Mm. <laughs> but, I mean, I look at it all, I'm like, we're still doing it, but we're not doing it with him anymore. Yeah. He's been yeah. left out of the equation. You, yeah, you mentioned that a moment ago. Why is that? Why, why does that seem to be so pervasive within various scientific communities that God is left out of the equation? This is the question I'm exploring. and I'm, I'm very curious. Being in it um, and being in, in different realms of it, there, there seems to be a lot of me, and that me comes from I have to do research and almost be biased in that research that brings me into it rather than the actual solution. And the, the opportunity to question research has, is, is decreasing. And people are too worried about moving into a research role and having the funding for it rather than questioning it and trying to disprove what they're already thinking. Hmm. So they're very biased in, in their perspective. Okay. That's what I'm seeing. Okay. Do you come across a lot of what we would often call reductionism? Um, by that, I mean that if, if something um, can't be explained empirically, if it can't be um, explained in terms of physical, mechanical processes, it's not real. So, which is a way, at least I, I think I've encountered this, that's, that's a way within mm-hmm. many communities, like some yep. scientific communities, yep. uh, of discounting the supernatural, discounting the divine, discounting right. anything that we can't um, you know, access with our senses. Right, you can't measure Reduced it. Reduced to a formula. Can't measure can't, it. You can't measure it. I yeah, mean, if you can't measure it, it's not real. Yes, exactly. Right, is that, I mean, is that, that that's, you still bump that, up against yeah, that? Yeah, that's, that's where it's at. So as we in research, that's where, that's where it happens. So that, if you get, break down the research, it's the measuring. If they can't define it through measurement, then it doesn't exist. But we go back to, to um, the, the, the trouble with measuring is it's incomplete as well. Okay, say more about that. So you can measure something that's an inch, right? But that's, that's our measurement. But you're, you're defining it by your view of measuring this coaster being four inches. Okay. But is it really just four inches? Are we missing something on each end? Okay. So it's like a um, uh, ad ad infinitum. Yeah, you know you can or the law of um, infinite regression. Right, right. You can right. you can only distill it so far, but you never get to absolute zero. Right, with your ability to measure something is that that's pretty what much you're it. Saying? Yeah, okay. it's pretty pretty much that simple. So you could be missing something. 
Okay. And that's where I like to pause and go back up. What am I missing here? And exploring and the questions I'm asking. Mm-hmm. So I'm always shifting my perspective um, in, in, in how, what God created and how we can interact with that rather than, hmm, this is interesting. Look what I found. Look what I created. Well, he cre- originally created that and created you to create and explore. You're, um, I think you're talking about, you're alluding to curiosity, the mm-hmm. role of curiosity mm-hmm. in, yeah. in scientific research, in, just in human learning in general about the world we inhabit. Right. How, how, does, that, how does curiosity constitute maybe this, this X factor that gets missed in a lot of scientific discussions? So um, I, think, I think what you're asking is, is, is what, what, are, what questions aren't we asking? Is that kind yeah, of where you're so. going? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. So if, if you take God out of the equation, then you lose a whole new perspective in, in what's going on because you're looking at it in a view that is only curious in, in where we came from, right, and how it all works rather than what is the purpose of where we, where we are and what's going on and how it works. Okay. What are we supposed to be doing yeah. with this? And nobody's asking that question. The, the purpose questions. Right. And then, then, then you run into things getting abused and things getting, getting, uh, getting used in an incorrect way. Okay. And that's where we get into more of the ethics of, of right. this study and what's right. going on. Right. It, yeah, and that, which goes to the, uh, the question of should we do everything mm-hmm. that we can do? Yes. Yeah, yes. we can do a lot of things, but should we do right. all the things we know how to do? Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's, a, that's a big piece. And that goes back to Genesis 2.15. We're supposed to rule over this, but most people shift to the rule is I need to dominate it and make money, mm-hmm. right? Instead of how should we be using this for the good of humanity, but also in the good of what God created for us to be using. Yeah, that's a bigger, much more complex sense of purpose than right. a, than a simplistically utilitarian mm-hmm. uh, functionality. Right. Yeah. Right. What can I What can I make of this? What can I get from this? Exactly. So if, if we're going to space to study a Mars cave and we find out there is life there, then what are we going to do with that? Okay. Yeah. So w- one of the it, I guess the ethics of science mm-hmm. uh, may be an arena that needs a lot more explanation. I wonder, and of course, this is, there are so many different aspects of science and so many different scientific communities and types of scientific research that it may be, it may be impossible to broad brush this. But I, I wonder how much tolerance there is for the discussion of ethics in a lot of scientific communities when, if they tend to be only backward looking and reductionistic. Yeah, it's missing in a lot of areas. Um, one of the one of the struggles that exists is is money. I mean, you have these people studying these different aspects that are always trying to get new grants. The, and the commercialization yes. of research, right? And it's kind of biased that a little bit. Um, I'm finding there's less things being disproven and more things trying to be proved. Hmm. And that, that, that that's frustrating um, because if you don't disprove a, a theory. Or, or a hypothesis, then what are you really coming? What are you really? What are you really accomplishing? Okay, okay. Um, how, how, or where do you find Christians often getting stuck when they're thinking about the relationship of their faith and science? Because, as as I mentioned in the intro, this is one of the most prevalent reasons for mm-hmm. people, uh, particularly younger adults. Right. teens and younger adults right. turning away from their faith is they may have been brought up in the faith, nurtured in the faith, then they 
start learning about things going on in the scientific right. community. They can't reconcile that, and uh, so the faith always loses. What, yes. Get, what are some of the places where people tend to get stuck? Yeah, I was well, I was one of those in my early mid twenties. Okay. I was doing okay. going through the college realm. Um, evolution was the big battle. Right, everybody got yeah. into the how, how Darwin showed um, the opportunity for uh, things to evolve um, and adapt, and, and that always seems to be the big the big fight. And that's probably where we started seeing science come in to dominate and, and religion kind of being pushed to the side in the late late nineteenth century. And for me, was it, it it put that seed of doubt in there, and once that doubt came, I started questioning all those pieces. But when you come down to it. Science is measured. Religion's not measured. You can't measure God. There's no measure there. So I think where they miss out is they're putting science into what they believe when those are two separate entities. They can cross and interact, okay. but they're two separate, separate takes on how to, how to understand the world and how it works. What was it, Rich, that began to um, dispel for you the contradiction or the, 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 the contradiction that maybe you had felt between your faith and science. Yes, that, that started when I, when I was, uh, so it was about five years after I started having that doubt. I, I realized that my, how my life was functioning was based on science and there was no purpose. And then the morality and ethics start derailing. And when you see that happen, something, something in you triggers, like, something's not right here. What am I missing? And you're missing well, if I have a purpose, then it's got to be because God created me. And if you go back to that, then what who, what uh, what created where I live? And you go all the way back to the beginning of time of how things were created. And if you can't trail back to that, then it's very difficult. It was difficult for me to accept my limitations and my my meekness and weakness here on earth. Sounds like there you were kind of bumping up against the the reality of the. Some of the dimensions of your humanness mm -hmm. that science couldn't account for. Exactly. Is that right. fair to say? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. when, when you're talking about purpose and even other, um, I'll use the word intangibles, there are other immeasurables like mm -hmm. like love yes. and justice. Yes. Yes. Um, are are uh, all that's related to the realm of morality and ethics. Right. Um, you have to account for that somehow. Now there are there are non-Christian people who do try to account for yes, that, but right. they'll, they'll call those social constructions, mm -hmm. uh, neurological uh, mechanisms for survival, you know, but, but basically they're just self-generated correct, uh, rather than externally generated from our creator. Right, right, exactly. And that, that nails it. I mean, that, that, that was where I was struggling in my mid-late 20s. I, I was confused by all those because science couldn't explain those pieces. Okay. Right. And that's where you have to have, have God come in and give you that morality because you get you don't get it from science and how the social constructs happen doesn't doesn't work there. There's it's incomplete again, uh -huh. right? Where God fills in those incomplete pieces and answers those questions that are always longing deep within. Yeah, I think you you have done or are doing some work with uh, artificial intelligence, aren't yes, you? Yes, yeah. Oh, so yeah? I'm currently uh, working in software engineering because I'm very intrigued by it. Uh, that that happened through this whole journey over the past three years, yeah. um, and it's been a fun shift. And how that is going to be able to engage us with more about the world around us. Uh, I'm also curious how we can use that in in uh, in studies and in, in research in Christian Christian scriptures and and figure out what's going on in there as well. Uh, yeah, the, uh, I bring that up because AI 
artificial intelligence is sometimes very threatening mm-hmm. to people of mm-hmm. faith. Mm-hmm. It's as if the gap is being closed between what we can we can create, right. uh, the intelligence we can create, and the intelligence that we have as human persons. Uh, the, uh, while there, there still is a gap there, I mean, I think the sense or the fear is the gap is shrinking. Yes. It's only it a matter of time before we'll be able to create something that is virtually the same as ourselves. So that's a, it's sometimes a very threatening concept. Um, how, how, do you, uh, how, do, how do you wrestle through some of those, uh, those intriguing questions with AI? Yeah. And those potential threats and yes. what fascinates you about AI? So, so for me, um, I, I like how things can take in data and come out with a conclusion quicker, right? That's what computers are for. Yeah. A- AI is a, is a high, high piece of that. But for me, I still look at the brain. And I did so much study in that. I know how it operates. It's fascinating that there still isn't a computer that can even come close to it. So AI is never going to get ever get near that. They just finished a computer. Um, I think it was it has some high rate of processing that's just insane. And it's 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 in a big room, much larger than we're in now, and it still can't compete with the human brain in processing power. Well, it, it kind of raises the. Uh, the question of the difference between brain and mind, yes, which I know in in uh, some neurological fields, that's that's a distinction yes. that's of of some. Um, it, it's a contested distinction, but is it, can our can our mind and everything that goes into the human mind be distilled and reduced to nothing more than the traceable neurological pathways, the brain? Right. Is there something more? Yes. Are we more than our yes. brain? Right. And, and again, we can't measure that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So again, you're going, if you can't measure it, science is, science is limited. It can't answer all these questions on all these unknowns out here. Where, where, where are you going with those? Yeah. yeah. So when, uh, when neurological reductionists uh, want to give me uh, a a scientific explanation, a reductionistic explanation for why a piece of great apple pie <laughs> is such a worshipful experience. I just don't buy it. Right. <laughs> they yes. may be, they may, they may posit uh, yes. how that happens in my brain through certain right. uh, neural pathways yep. and synaptic functions, but you can't reduce the doxological, the worshipful, the glorious pleasure yes. of that piece of apple pie <laughs> to right. nothing but that. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I am more. Yeah, than that, than that's, that. that's so true. I am yeah. more. Wow. Yeah. Hey, Rich, when, um, when you're involved in discussions with, um, with people of no faith or people who are struggling with their faith because of science, how, how do you... How do you have those conversations? What are some of the the ways you could recommend to engage those conversations about faith in science with people who are in in different places? They're struggling with that. Right. The, the, the key piece I shift to is I have to build trust first. And I find it very important to build a relationship because um, what I find in science is that they, there tends to be a box that's built around most folks there. Okay. And I, I'm not a big fan of putting people in those. Uh, because it, it one it creates a bias for me, and then I, I have to I have to kind of try to navigate around that box. So I build a relationship, start ha- have conversations just about the simple stuff in life, 
toward you. You build that trust in that conversation, and then you can shift into harder questions. Uh, so what do you think about um, how we interact with someone in this ethical situation? And so, where, and where do we think we got that ethics ethical situation? How do you think about that ethically? That's, that's typically where I shift into, and then from there, it makes it much easier to shift in and start talking about God. And once you bring in ethics, then you can start having having a relationship with them and how they think about we were created, um, then about their their morality, and then what in them is is struggling, what in them is are they battling. One of the things I'm always watching during those conversations is, especially if it's live, but being on Zoom so much, it makes it difficult, is their body language. Are they uncomfortable? If I see they're uncomfortable, I back away because I already know they're they're not going to have a conversation with me in that honest, deep heart piece that I want to get into. Why is it, do you think, that uh, some people may be intimidated by that conversation or not want to have the conversation? For for me, from my 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 experience, it's because they already have a doubt and they don't like to not know. People love to ha- to be able to know and be done. They don't want to explore that deeper and explore what's missing in what they might not know. The unknown scares people. Don't want to keep struggling. Right. Yeah, they want an easy, easy, easier path. The, the struggle's tough. Do you think that's equally true? This sounds like a leading question. Maybe mm-hmm. it is. But is that equally true for people of faith and people uh, of without faith? I agree. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because there's m- many in faith I, I found that that don't even want to keep struggling in, the, in Scripture. Like I love keep diving into Scripture and learning it, um, and understanding how how the humanity of Jesus when he was on Earth, that was a beautiful thing. His personality. I like to go into Scripture and kind of find that and and, and interact with that, and that that's a, that's a missing piece. Okay, yeah, and so that uh, that need for quick, pr- maybe premature closure, right, uh, can can exist on both sides of a conversation. Yeah, yeah, and it's much easier. You can walk through life and be okay with where you're at and not willing to shift out of that. I hear you suggesting, I think, that one of the ways we can have meaningful conversations with people who are stuck or struggling is to introduce those dimensions of humanity, human personhood, mm-hmm. that um, that just cannot be accounted for by the empirical right. science. right. Yeah, it's not that simple. Yeah, just a- expand our humanity, expand yes. our just a- acknowledge and 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 keep pushing the out the boundaries of what it means to be fully human and fully alive, and asking the questions can 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 nothing but empirical science account for the fullness of human personhood? Right, and it can't. And, and ethics and yeah, you know, all morals. of it. It can't. It's missing. And that's, that's, that's always the battle between faith and science, right? Is, is, is science wants to try to measure it, and, you, and with faith, they don't measure. You're, you're, already, you're already corrected through, through uh, Christ dying on the cross and his ascension. That's all cleaned away. So the ethics piece that we struggle with, that, that, that it's, to put that in, is a, is a challenge. And they, they, don't, they don't really clash. They can be used together, and that's what's missing. What are some of the ways, Rich, that, that your background as a scientist has actually been an asset to your faith? For, for me, because that's the way I function in science, is I constantly struggle with it and, and sit there and reflect on it constantly. And I function with that kind of battle in Scripture as well and, and what I believe and, and battle on all the apologetic pieces and ethic, ethical pieces and the theology. If I didn't have that ability to struggle in it, I don't think I would grow as well as, as without it. So struggles may be a good thing. It is. <laughs> okay, not yeah. a bad thing. Yeah, right. And you don't want to avoid it. Yeah. That, that you don't grow without it. 
Have there been any uh, good resources that uh, you would recommend to people who want to maybe chase this conversation down a little bit further? I'm a big fan of John Polkinghorne's work. Ah, so am I. <laughs> yeah, the English physicist. Oh, man. His quantum stuff, physicist. His yeah, I can just, barely understand him. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I, I really enjoy going through his work. I'm, I'm going through his one world right now, and, and um, I find that to be a great resource. And I think that's, that's, that's one. It, he's, he's hard to understand, but he also forces you to take, change perspective and, and ask questions. And if you find him on YouTube, watch some of his videos, he'll ask, he'll ask a question and after he's asked a question. I think that's really important. Okay. Yeah, I should I shouldn't have said what I said about I cannot understand him because I mean he is uh, th- that says more about me than about him because <laughs> right. I, I don't have a real thick scientific background though I'm fascinated by what he does. He was a quantum physicist. Mm-hmm. Is he still living? No, he passed away a few years back. Okay, yeah. John Polkinghorn, P O L K I N G H O R N E. I think right. is his last yes. name. Yeah, That's right. and he does have some uh, some more accessible works. Right. Uh, like, uh, the one I remember reading just a few years ago was the Trinity in an Entangled Universe. Yeah, that's that's one of my next ones to read. Definitely. Is There's it? one world. Yeah. 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 So yeah, Polkinghorn. I'm a big big fan. So I'd underscore your recommendation of yeah. of his works as one who uh, he's. I think he was. Um, an Anglican, right? Uh, ordained Anglican priest. He was. That's how he uh, finished, as, finished life. Yeah, as well as a pretty, pretty uh, accomplished physicist. Oh, yeah, Correct? outstanding. Yeah, yeah, outstanding physicist. Yeah. and you'll find the Heisenberg uncertainty principle in there. I mentioned earlier, as well as uh, Goodall's incompleteness theorem. They're they're both in that book. Yeah, and it's it's good stuff. He does things. have beautiful ways of tying those together. He does. It's fascinating. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Rich Rife. So good to have you on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was great. Yeah, I'm glad you're here. Uh, tell us a little bit about your program at Denver Seminary. What What are you studying here? Uh, well, apologetic and ethics. <laughs> okay, you in the MA or the MDiv? M- MDiv, yes. In the MDiv. Yeah. Okay, yeah. good. I'm doing it nice and slow. I don't like to hurry. So well, you can you can I digest str- it. I want to struggle digest. it. I want to struggle with it. <laughs> good, good man. Good man. Well, it's yep. been such a pleasure to have yep. you here. Friends, thank um, thanks for spending some time with us. I uh, want to uh, give another shout out to, to Andrea Wayand our director of communications who kind of behind the scenes makes a lot of this happen. Uh, Friends, by the time you hear this, we'll be coming up on, I think the end of about year two of the Engage 360 podcast and entering into year three. So hope you've uh, been able to enjoy and benefit from uh, a lot of our episodes. You can find them all on the seminary website. If you ever want to look back at any episodes, just go to denverseminary.edu look up the Engage 360 podcast and all of our episodes are there and I think most of them also have available full uh, transcripts if you want to download the transcript of any of our conversations. Uh, Please access those. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at podcast at denverseminary.edu and if you are are so inclined and I hope you are uh, give us a rating or a review on whatever podcast platform you utilize to access us. Uh, Anyway, I'll be looking forward to another conversation with you really soon, and may the Lord continue to walk alongside you as, as you struggle well with this wonderful, mysterious, fabulous, life giving world that the Lord has given us and the redemption He's given us to enjoy in that world. Take care, friends.